How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Uh, an enjoyable show for me to listen to some of the perspectives of people. Brad Bisbing from the Buffalo Bisons talking about how it's changed in the way that athletes are out there in the media and kind of what's on their mind of protecting the brand, not wanting to go viral, not wanting to face the criticism of being political or the trash talking as well, because now we take everything and make it into something. And I used Rex Ryan, but it's not just Rex. I mean, Richard Sherman went through the same thing. What did Richard Sherman do? He talked a little trash after he won a game and Fox got so scared. You remember this? Fox got so scared that they cut away from the interview when Richard Sherman started talking trash loudly on the TV. They just cut away, like, end it, get away from this, get away. This man is out of control. He's crazy. Like, no, he's just yelling some trash talk. I mean, that's Muhammad Ali was 50 million times the trash talk that Richard Sherman had for Michael Crabtree. And it was part of his legacy, part of who he was, and part of what made him polarizing uh, during that time period. And I, I know for myself, and looking at athletes now, I will look for any shred of Aliness and want to back that player who is like that. And I, and I, when it, especially I think when it comes to over-criticized black athletes who allow their personality to show through and get told to shut up for it. That for me, I go a hundred percent on their side for that. And I think part of it, I mean, okay. I didn't grow up during the elite era, but you know about him. Everyone knows about him and how entertaining that was and how fun that was and how he was allowed to show his personality, his genius. You read these quotes from Ali, and he's brilliant. And, it, you know, how it was used as a tactic for him to... I loved every minute of it, and uh, reading about it, learning about it, all that. And when an athlete like Cam Newton is criticized and slammed and called not classy and not a leader and all these things that in some ways don't read as just criticisms of being classy and leader and all that, but they also read as having a racist element to them as well. And I'm sure that that existed with Muhammad Ali, that some people just didn't want a black man saying the things that, that he was saying. And that's part of his legacy is the courage that it took to do that. So Muhammad Ali gone at the age of 74, Paul Hamilton down at the NHL Combine. And Paul, before I get to uh, a little bit of Sabres offseason chatter with you, because I see you're out there proposing trades like crazy on Twitter, um, <clears throat> as you always are, and I just wish you'd stop. Uh, but, but with Ali, I was talking with Brad Bisbing from the Bisons here about athletes and how it's changed, Paul. And uh, you're very old, so you've covered the NHL and professional sports. Howard Simon is still my father. He is older. Yes, Howard is older. Um, But 
but you've not not just uh, hockey, but football as well for a very long time. Is it now more plastic than it's ever been at any time in your career with athletes and, and the cliches and things like that? And I mean, how have you seen it change um, from when you first started? Well, it somewhat is, but in this day and age with Twitter, it drives organizations crazy mm-hmm. with social media and all that. They they would rather the days when the players weren't out there. You know, they could kind of control the message a little bit, but. Some players will keep it fairly vanilla and uh, not say too much, but some players wind up getting themselves into quite a bit of trouble on social media with some of the things they say. And then, you know, they either have to apologize or just say, you know, screw it. I'm going to say what I want to say. And that's that. And it's just, I think, become a headache for teams that way. As a reporter, how do you view it, Paul? I mean, because yeah, when I, I guess I'm using a broad term about trash talking and being political and things like that. Well, not everybody has the brilliance of Muhammad Ali. There are some athletes who have a lot of not-so-smart um, things to say. So, I mean, as a reporter, I'm sure you always want the best soundbite and quote, but from, from your, I guess, preference and perspective, do you wish that, you would have a little more of these guys' personality to report on. Yeah, I think it would be fun that way. I mean, even a lot of the trash talkers in hockey aren't there anymore. One of the best you, you could talk to about trash talking when he's on Hockey Hotline is Martin Biron. I mean, he used to sit there at the end of the bench, and he would be a classic. Stall, can't you stand up on skates anymore? What's wrong with you? <laughs> stall, stall, I'm talking to you. Come on, I'm talking to you over here, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And, of course, Rob Ray. I mean, he, Rob Ray would tell stories when the, the, the team that had Rob Ray, Brad May, Bugner, Barnaby, he, he said it, well, it would be a contest. He goes, the people, the players on the bench were always in stitches because those guys would all be in a contest to see who could do the work the best trash talking in a game so they'd be like really concentrating on their trash talking and they would be just breaking up the bench and they had so many characters on that team yeah you know paul i I feel like even since i grew up watching sports that there was there still was the remnants of trash talking that has now mostly disappeared i was using the nba finals or the nhl stanley cup finals as an example that even when it's lebron and curry you don't get any of it and even when it's Crosby and Thornton like you don't you don't think that Crosby and Thornton would have some great things to toss at each other but you've got pretty much none of it and I I think it it hurts a little bit of the entertainment value and the build-up I mean this isn't this isn't something that important it's sports we can have a little fun with it but nobody nobody wants that spotlight or wants to be talked about or take the attention away from their team so and I uh, think part of it has actually gone away hasn't it I mean um like Terrell Owens, mm-hmm. uh, yes, uh, you know, or or Irvin, or you know, be trash talking with a cornerback, and they'd be going back and forth, and uh, a lot of that. Just again, a guy like Terrell Owens, as much as I despised him, <laughs> he could he could back it up. I mean, that's the one thing I would always give him credit for. He would talk a bunch of crap all the time. To me, I thought made a fool of himself, but in the end, he backed it up. So did Ocho Cinco. Uh, change his name nine thousand times and you know that type of thing or michael irvin those those kind of guys they yapped but in the end they could back it up and that's the thing that always bothered me about stevie johnson stevie johnson was trying to be terrell owens and he couldn't back it up when you needed a key play 
uh, Stevie Johnson would drop the ball or, or not be able to make that key play at the time. And I thought, you know, Stevie, you need to be, keep quiet. You really need to stop because if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you got to be able to back it up. Paul, if you're available, I want to bring you back in at one thirty to throw some actual fake trades at you, sort of, but Sabres <laughs> offseason. But before, because uh, we're gonna get Lauren Brill from uh, uh, local news in Cleveland on to talk about LeBron James here in a minute. But um, Paul, what, what's going on down at the, at the combine there? Have you had a chance? Your conversation with Yo Levy, I, I came away like you, very impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. by Yo Levy. Uh, what, what else have you seen? What else have you heard from, from some of the young players and, and people you're, you're bumping into down there? Sergachev, I was just having a conversation before uh, with Chris Rindak about how impressed we were, how well he speaks English. And, and he, he had a guy who was helping him with his English, but again, came over here, played for a year uh, with Windsor, and... Is, is really you talk to him now his english is as good as as yours or mine i mean real really sounds good with very little accent so uh it, that seems to be the thing now where guys are able to come over and be able to pick up the language even if uh, you know they didn't know the language very well before they got here and he's another guy that i think the sabers would be very interested in and possibly could be available to them in the number eight position well, Paul, uh, you'll be available in like 15 minutes. I am at your disposal. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll check back in with you then, and I want to ask you about what the Sabres' plans are for the offseason as we start to ramp up the draft talk. So keep your ear to the ground there if you can. Sounds good. All right. Paul Hamilton live down at the NHL Combine. Now we switch to a little bit of basketball, but Muhammad Ali talk as well. Lauren Brill. Used to be a news reporter here in Buffalo. Now is in Cleveland at WEWS News, the ABC affiliate in Cleveland. Lauren, uh, how are you? I'm doing well. A little bit busy, but doing well. Okay. Well, if you if you've got ten minutes here, I know that uh, you just spun off a really nice column, and I had a chance to read it in the break about Muhammad oh. Ali and. <laughs> We'll we'll get yeah. we'll get to some LeBron talk with you in a minute, but first, uh, it's it's a really nice article that you wrote. You can see it at her Twitter page, Lauren Brill Five, uh, on Twitter about how reading about Muhammad Ali for you when you were younger uh, inspired you in your career. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't actually like to read as a kid, but I, I picked up a book. It was a biography on Muhammad Ali. When I was about nine years old, my parents had read it, and I kind of just thought thought it looked interesting, and I read it probably in like three days, and I was so fascinated by not only his athletic prowess, but just his spirit and the way he went about his his life in terms of following his heart and doing what he believes in and speaking up. And now I don't necessarily agree with everything that Muhammad Ali has ever done, but it's the way he went about it. And with his with conviction, with heart, with passion, uh, his that he was so bold. There were just so many things about him that I, I admire in terms of it, the way he pursued his life. I always say he was a fighter in the ring, but even more so, he was a fighter in, in life. Lauren, and the- I think as someone who's a female going into sports as a child, it was just motivation to chase your dream, even if it wasn't the most logical or easiest path. The conversation that we've been having here, and and you're you know whether you're in Buffalo or now you're in Cleveland, always yeah. around athletes, always in media scrums and things like that, and 
I mean, from our standpoint, I think it's very rare that we see an athlete who I'm sure that there are many that have that type of spirit that you're talking about, but very few want to show us that personality the way that Muhammad Ali did. And and I've been sitting here today, I guess, lamenting both the lack of trash talk, which he was elite at, and uh, also the amount of personality that athletes are kind of allowed to show today. Well, it's interesting. The reason that um, that Muhammad Ali originally became so bold and so talkative was because he heard someone else do it when he was growing up, and I think it was Fortress George was the name. Don't quote me on that. But um, he he thought it would make him money. It, originally, it was just a tactic to make him money, and then it became his personality. And I think because the way media is now with so much scrutiny, I think a lot of people are afraid to be that bold because of all the social media and the and the potential backlash i think there's some fear in that i think even even there's fear in in standing up for social rights because there's so much uh media and and different ways to hear the opposition and i think that makes people nervous so i think there are a lot of athletes that want to do good and want to stand up for what's right but they do so in a more uh subtle way maybe through charities and through um volunteering but i don't think Many are as outspoken as Muhammad Ali, or I don't, I don't think anybody's as outspoken as Muhammad Ali, because I don't think uh, people feel as comfortable doing so, because there's just so many ways to oppose someone's uh, boldness and, and opinion now because of social media and because of uh, just the, the access we have to athletes. I don't think Muhammad Ali was as accessible to the public, so he could say something, and then he could probably block everybody out. Yeah, no, you're probably right about that. Lauren Brill, uh, Channel 5 in Cleveland, uh, WEWS News, the ABC affiliate there, used to, uh, if you recognize the name, used to be here in Buffalo. So, Lauren, you you have had over the last is, uh, maybe year and a half, two years since you went to Cleveland, have had a chance to cover. Oh, no, it hasn't been that long. It really? hasn't even been a year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, sorry. The last year That's then. Okay. <laughs> the last year then. All right, I got it. You know what? I should have checked my Twitter timeline and gone back and <laughs> no, looked at the okay. exact. All right, so it's okay. sorry, I wasn't trying to run you out of town a year before you actually left. <laughs> um, no, but but uh, Lauren, you had a chance over this last year. Thank you to uh, cover LeBron James up close and personal. And yeah. LeBron is a guy who has always had, I think kind of an odd relationship with the media and his brand. There have been times where he has done some level of standing up for social issues and things like you mentioned. He's never gone all in, and there have been times where he's towed the line with trash talk but never gone all in the way Ali did. And LeBron, to me, is is the biggest athlete of our time. I mean, what have you found from having a chance on basically a daily basis to cover him there in Cleveland? So this is actually my second time covering LeBron. So I actually wrote for NBA.com when I was right out of college. So I, I, not to age me, but I covered him in around 2007, 2008, and then again now. And he's actually two very different people. I, I, in my personal experience from then to now, um, then he was not as media-friendly, not as media-savvy, I think. Uh, now he's definitely much more. And in terms of speaking out, LeBron is kind of, I think, not torn, but kind of, walks this line of being an advocate but also being neutral because his brand, I think, is very important to him. I mean, he, he wants to be 
he is a mogul and he wants this brand, but you can't have this that same brand and that same success and be the face of Nike and be the face of all these different things if you're creating so much controversy. It makes it much more difficult. So even recently, um, he he did comment on a little girl who was who was shot uh, and killed in a drive-by shooting. She was only five months old, and he, and I mean, all he said was something to the effect like, "Come on, guys, a five-month-old baby." And it had a huge impact because he has 20 to 30 million followers on Twitter. But at the same time, then it created a conversation about gun control. And, and, and I don't think he wants to put himself in the center of controversy. So he wants to stand up for what's right, but he kind of walks that fine line of standing up for what's right, but also not being too controversial, where I think that, um, that Muhammad Ali was not afraid to be controversial. There was another case, Tamir Rice, where people were actually – advocating for LeBron to not play um, in, 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 in any Cavaliers game to stand up for um, a situation where a young boy uh, was shot by a, a policeman and then he was not uh, convicted. So I just think that, he, and, and LeBron didn't really comment on the situation. He obviously didn't sit down in any game. So I think that he kind of walks a very fine line of wanting to stand up for what's right, wanting to make a difference, but doing so in a way that's not too controversial in an effort to protect his brand. Yeah, and it's um, good. It, he does have a lot of charity work, and he kind of does his his contribution to society through through a lot of charities that he started himself. Yeah, I imagine it's it's very challenging if you're LeBron, too, because when you're talking about social issues and you're the biggest star, it's kind of like there are so many things, so many voices that want you to be the yeah. face of their cause, whatever exactly. it might be, that it, it's got to be uh, very tough for LeBron. Talking he with has so uh, much power, mm-hmm. he has so much power and influence, and other people want to decide how he uses that power. Right. And, no. that's, and that's hard, and I don't think there's any other athlete quite like that currently where they have so much power and other people are saying here use this power this way use it that way right i mean nobody else on the team was asked to sit out so it's just it's interesting and, and he's scrutinized so much i mean if he unfollows someone on twitter it makes headline <laughs> news if he sends someone yes. a message on and on instagram it's headline news he is so scrutinized and because again the social media and the, the, the access you have to athletes and, and how everyone has a voice now it, it can be overwhelming. News Channel 5's Lauren Brill in uh, Cleveland. Now, speaking of using his powers, he may have to use a lot of them if he's going to overcome <laughs> the uh, the Golden State yeah. Warriors. So, uh, game one did not go so well for Cleveland. Uh, no. Should we should we write the R.I.P. Cavs yet, or how no, will they no, how will I they mean, bounce back not, in the series? I mean, this team is interesting. They're, they're kind of they're consistent, consistent, and then they'll have a. Where did that come from? I mean, you think about the Toronto series. How do you beat a team by forty at home and then lose decisively on the on the road? It just it doesn't seem to make sense. But they they lose focus and then they get it back and they're a different team. I think the biggest thing with the Warriors is the pace. If you watch the Warriors play, they don't stop moving at all. And when Tyron Lue took over the team. That was the one thing he said first was, we're going to up the pace of this team, which they did. And I almost think with the Warriors, they have to take it up an even another notch because they are so quick and so fast. And so I think that's the biggest thing, and they're going to have to have to increase the tempo and the pace to keep up with the Warriors. I mean, they have to score more than they they did. Uh, was 89 points. I mean, that's just not enough to, to win in the finals against uh, a team like the Warriors. But, I mean, the Cavs, 
the bench was an issue. They were outscored on the. It wasn't. LeBron wasn't the the main problem in any sense of the word. I mean, he leads the team, but at the same time, when your bench is outscored forty five to ten, that's that's a huge problem. Um, turnovers were an issue. It just there were so many things that just didn't go right for them. The only thing that did go right for them were Clay Thompson and uh, Steph Curry didn't have their best games, and they really needed to capitalize on that, but. I still think that they're going to come back, make some adjustments. I, I was reading that Channing Fry uh, will likely be uh, playing more in this next game, which is important because he is a good three-point shooter, and I think he, he has also a common presence for the team. I think they have a lot of like Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry. They have these veterans that don't necessarily uh, – they're not necessarily the stars of the team, but they have a common presence, and they kind of are that intangible it factor that, that molds this team together. Uh, I think that really interesting this year compared to last year, besides the fact that the Cavs are healthy, they're, they seem very united. They seem to really like each other. They seem to have fun together. And if you've ever played on the sports team, that, that makes a huge difference because when things are hard, when there's adversity, if you like your teammates and you're really together, you push each other and you pick each other back up. And I think that'll be huge coming back from uh, that game one loss. But game two is really going to be whether or not we say, okay, can we can we write this series off now? All right, last thing for you, Lauren. How about the legacy question about LeBron James? If he doesn't win this series, if he doesn't come back and beat Golden State, do you think that because Golden State was so good this year, it's 73-9, yeah. do you think that it does or does not harm his legacy long-term, the fact that if they don't win that he'll only have – I know only have the two championships. I'm sitting here at Buffalo saying someone has only two championships, but yeah, no. but but well, so he's only 31 years old. Mm-hmm. He's only, I mean, that's old, I guess, in, in athlete terms. But I, I, he's he's playing great. He's not he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So who knows how many championships he will or he won't end up with? I think the the legacy thing is so tough because I, I interviewed Ron Harper the other day who uh, who won three titles with with Michael Jordan and then two with Kobe. And I asked him how impressive or what do you make of, of LeBron going to his sixth straight final? And his comment to me was he's two and four uh, two and four in the finals overall. Michael Jordan was six for six. Um, he was five for five. And he said to me, he goes to the prom a lot. He just doesn't dance very long. So he maybe for his legacy would change it for him. But I think for the general population – what LeBron has done as an athlete is very impressive. I mean, night in and night out throughout the regular season, he flirts with a triple-double. I mean, it's insane the numbers he puts up. And I think later on, when we really step back and look at his career as a whole, if he wins two championships or four or five, he, he will he will be one of the greatest of all, all time. And also, the another thing Ron Harper did say is it takes a team to win a championship, not one player. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, last year he had the whole team on his back. He he was it was one versus a team. So, I I don't think it's completely fair to have his legacy rest on just this finals or or his his the number of championships he had. It's part of his le- legacy, but it's definitely not his whole legacy. And and his there is so much great about his team and there's so much that he's accomplished that his his legacy will be strong I think regardless but people are always going to make the comparisons to Jordan people are always going to make the comparisons to Kobe so I mean that's just part of the game when you're in that spotlight and you're that good 
people are always just gonna gonna compare and talk and no matter what. But I think his legacy, when we step back and really look at the numbers he put in night in and night out, and what he's done uh, and what he will do, I, I think it'll be impressive, and he'll have a, a strong uh, place in this game's history. Yeah, I think going six times in a row enough is uh, a big part of it. I mean, to, for yeah. me to well, say I'm one of the all-time impressed, greatest. But I'm impressed. <laughs> yes, I am definitely impressed. Lauren, I appreciate uh, all of your time and a great column on Muhammad Ali. You can follow it uh, oh, at her Twitter that. page, at Lauren Brill 5 It makes sense now that you wrote for NBA.com because I was reading your column thinking, I don't think most TV people write this well. So very nice, very oh. nice work. <laughs> and I've, I've, enjoyed your, you. um, I've enjoyed your coverage following you on Twitter. Twitter covering the Cavs all year. So good luck to you there and uh, enjoy the finals. I really appreciate this. Appreciate it. And uh, I enjoyed uh, pulling on with you and, and just hide everyone in Buffalo. I, of course, miss everyone in Buffalo. Great city, great place to cover sports. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Take care. Thanks. Lauren Brill, a former Buffalo reporter on TV here and now working in Cleveland covering LeBron James in the NBA Finals. All right, we'll take a break. Paul Hamilton down at the NHL Combine, and we will check in with Paul about the Sabres offseason. I'm going to ask him who should they be targeting, and anybody there look like could be a Sabre pick at the Combine? We'll ask Paul that when we come back. Matthew Collar, Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Well, you know that two people draw on the draft, the uh, Army and the Marines, and I'm prepared to offer up Cassius Clay to the Marines. <laughs> all right, back here, Sports Talk Saturday. Matthew Collar with you, talking all day about Muhammad Ali passing away at the age of 74, sports's all-time greatest icon. I think it's easy to say that. Uh, that he rises above the rest, not just because of what he accomplished in the ring, but the person that he was, the political activism, the intelligence, the brilliance, the trash talk, all those things um, were a figure, even though it's a cliche, I apologize, but it is larger than life figure that everyone in America, no matter when you grew up, you know who Muhammad Ali is. And Lauren talked about his story and his words being inspiring to her even in in her career and i would say the same thing maybe not career wise for me but uh reading about roberto clemente early on that you read his story and uh, are so inspired and, and blown away by his selflessness as a superstar and the criticism that he took as a puerto rican athlete all right let's bring paul hamilton back in here down from the uh, nhl combine paul you doing okay down there they got snacks yeah, doing well. Everybody just they just stopped for the lunch break, and now the testing is back going again. Okay, so let me ask you about uh, this draft. Um, I'm, I was kidding you earlier about the trade proposals that fly around on Twitter, and as you know, I enjoy them. You don't like them, but when it comes to— <laughs> Why do you enjoy them? <laughs> I think it's entertaining, Paul. Let's trade this. Yesterday I was trading— uh, for Tyson Berry, and it's, I see other people. Chris Baker is trading Pesic today, and it's it's just it's off season talk. It's fun to talk about who might move and who might not move, and you know, whatever. I mean, it's all right, but you're you're a, you have a reporter perspective that is. Let's talk about trades when they actually happen. It's it's it's, it's totally fine, Paul. But as it comes to trades, we know that Tim Murray sure does love them. So as we count down to this draft, I guess. 
what is your expectation for what Murray might do as we get to the draft, whether it's with the eighth pick or trying to add to the roster in other ways? Well, whether you like Tim Murray as a general manager or you don't, the one thing about Tim Murray is he will be prepared. Uh, nobody is going to out-prepare him. He and his staff go over every type of scenarios over and over and over again. So you're not going to catch this group. I mean, they're going to know what to do no matter what happens or which way anything goes. They they have themselves prepared for it, and that includes trades. So, you know, I'm sure they've looked at, well, what if the salary cap only goes up from 71 to $72 million? What does that mean? Is that they know the cap of every team. So then they look at some teams that maybe didn't think they were going to get in cap trouble who all of a sudden are in cap trouble. What do we do now? Now maybe some players are in play. Maybe there's some players that the other team doesn't know that's in play that will make them in play. You know, those types of things. Now, they had a, when they were making trades for Kane and O'Reilly, they had so many assets. Don't forget, in 14 year, or in four years, they had 17 first and second round picks. When you only have 50 contracts, you're not going to be able to draft and sign all of them. Mm-hmm. So they could, quote, overpay. People were flipping out. Well, you overpaid for Evander Kane. Maybe, maybe not. We can't evaluate that till we find out what Lemieux is going to be and what it all is going to break down. You don't, you don't know who won the trade until you actually see what all the players are able to do. But let's say they did overpay. That's why you inquire. These assets, these picks, they're currency. Mm-hmm. So the Boston Bruins, maybe they want a Vander Kane. They can't throw in that extra number one pick that Buffalo's sitting with because Buffalo has three of them. So you really want a Vander Kane. So, okay, I'm going to throw the extra number one pick in. And in the end, I still have two number one picks, and I have a Vander Kane. So and, Paul- and did we overpay? Yes. But the point I'm trying to make is I don't know if they have the – well, I do know. They don't have those types of assets yeah. anymore. It's going to be more difficult for them. Yes, they have four third-round picks, but a third-round pick is a different asset than a first-round pick, obviously. I think we all figured that out. But So they don't have as much currency – that they can throw in, or it's not as rich a currency. They have the currency, but it's not as attractive. So, Paul, what I'm thinking about as we go into the draft in this uh, trade time, and I imagine Tim Murray is, you know, if he makes his way over to somebody else's little cubby hole there, which he will, has, you know, has a conversation. <laughs> that that's this is when these things get facilitated, right? Sometimes we know that trades take a while uh, from conversations to when it actually gets consummated. But the Stamkos piece, and we are tr- uh, changing our name to WGR Stamkos Radio 550 for the month. Um, the Stamkos piece to me could affect what Tim Murray wants to do. In the trade market, uh, it seems to me, Paul, that he'll have to have a really good idea before we go into the draft whether Steven Stamkos would want to come to Buffalo or not because one of the things the Sabres could do is trade for somebody's contract that they can't afford because of the cap. Or trade for his, like they did with uh, Erhoff. Mm-hmm. You know, they had, excuse me, they had Erhoff signed, traded and signed before he became an unrestricted free agent. Now, as that turned, that wasn't Tim Murray that did that, and as that turned out, it was a horrendous move. But um, they, that that is a possibility. 
where you throw one of those third-round picks at Tampa Bay for the rights to Stamkos, hoping you can sign him before he becomes unrestricted. Another thing they have to do is have um, Bulldog and I were having this conversation. You know, one day he came out and said, well, they'll figure it out. Just do it, and then they'll figure it out. No, 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 no. That's not how you do it. They have to project out what Eichel will be making, what Ristolainen will be making, what Reinhardt will be making, and then figure out what they what they feel they could give Stamkos. And then, in the end, the decision is going to have to be, all right, we're, we're going to get Stamkos. We have to figure out who we're getting rid of because you're not, being, you're not going to be able to keep them all. So then they would have to look at it that way. Well, one of the things that they may be able to do long-term is, like you mentioned, with all those draft picks, all the players they've picked over the last few years, is cycle in players that are on entry-level contracts. If, if you're going to go all the way to the top of the cap, then you're going to have to have, and this is why the draft is so important, second-round, third-round, fourth-round picks who become legitimate quality NHL players that can fill out your roster because you can't afford other free agents and things like that. Uh, Paul Hamilton, live from the NHL Combine. So when it comes to filling out the the major spots, we've heard names on the trade block. Do you have a preference, Paul? Do you have a player? I mean, we've heard Shattenkirk. We've heard Tyson Berry. We've heard Cam Fowler. I mean, all these names that have come out. Do you have a thought on exactly the type of player that the Sabres are going to need, let's say, for that spot on defense that Tim Murray talked about at the end of the year? All three are people I would be interested in because that is the type of player they need. An offensive type of defenseman that can skate, a good passer. Um, This team does need to get faster, both up front and at the back end. Now, Bogosian can fly, and, you know, he can get up ice in a hurry. Ristolainen can get up ice all right, but I I think – that's really where the Sabres became exposed is when they play teams with speed. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they do need to increase their speed. Now, if you get Tyler Ennis playing like Tyler Ennis, you've just increased your speed quite a bit. But he never really was. In the 23 games he played, he never really was Tyler Ennis. He had two major concussions in a month, less than a month. So we don't know what Tyler Ennis is going to be for the rest of his career. And that's something I don't even know if the Sabres know for sure, you know, that, that, but it's something that would be in the back of their mind. But he would add speed to their team, and I think that's one thing they need to be looking at in the trade deadline when they're looking to pick up players is somebody that can bring more than just one that can bring some speed to the team. All right, Paul. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day down at the Combine, and I appreciate you chiming in today. Yes, not a problem. Glad to be with you. Paul Hamilton, you can read his work at WGR550.com. He'll have some stuff up there on Ole Levy, who I think Nate and I, both listening to that uh, interview, became Ole Levy fans. He really impressive. Learned English in a year. That, and he just sounds like a total bro. <laughs> total bro. I don't even know what you mean by that. He sounds like you could hang out with him. And it would be fun to, you know, kind of poke fun at his unfortunate accent. But it's funny, but not unfortunately funny. I think he came off as as sounding kind of mature and smart. For being, you know, whatever, 18. Right, right. Which, uh, the way he talked about Rasmus Ristolainen, other Finnish players, and 
playing for the London team and how they succeeded and things like that. I mean, I thought it was just, it was smart sounding commentary in English, uh, which isn't even his first language. It's all very impressive. And I do think you could take things away from interviews about guys when you're trying to pick out which ones will succeed and which ones won't. All right, more Muhammad Ali quotes to walk us off when we come back. Sports Talk Saturday, Matthew Collar on WGR. Ali, this young upstart, and uh, his rather aggressive attitude, mixed with so much mischief, mixed with so much metaphor, mixed with so much brashness, and at the same time exuding this incredible charm. All right, last couple of minutes here. Matthew Collar, Nate Geary as well. As uh, We're just going to leave you with a couple of quotes from Muhammad Ali. Maybe the greatest boxer, greatest athlete, and greatest talker all at once of all time. And when we were kings, if you don't go find it and watch it, I will come to where you live and fight you and your friends. Watch it. Find a way. I'll key your car if you don't. No, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's very much worth the time uh, to seek it out, find it, watch it. If you like 30 for 30s, if you, if this was a 30 for 30, people would say it was the best one. This is the best, maybe the best sports documentary of all time. It's wonderful. Go see it. It's about when Muhammad Ali wasn't still in his prime and fought George Foreman uh, in the Rumble in the Jungle. The pomp and circumstance of it, the lead up, how everyone thought that Ali was going to get killed, and that's when he did the famous rope-a-dope. Uh, the lead-up to it, the documentary is amazing. Please, please find a way to watch it if you're interested at all in Muhammad Ali, who passed away today at the age of 74. All right, Nate, I'll give you one, you give me one. This this might be my favorite, but then you find a favorite, and there's another one, another one, another one. Only a man who knows what it's like to be defeated can reach down to the bottom of his soul and come up with the extra ounce of power that it takes to win when the match is even. Love it. I'm going to go with mine. I think this actually is my favorite because I do have a poster with it on there, so I felt like this was, uh, this was fine. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His, his hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. George thinks he will, but I know he won't. It's a classic. It's a classic. Great way to end the show. All right. Muhammad Ali, more people should try to emulate the greatest of all time. Appreciate my dad for stopping by and talking about growing up with Muhammad Ali, the people who called Lauren Brill uh, from News Channel 5 in Cleveland, as well as Brad Bisbing from the Buffalo Bisons, and Paul Hamilton, who is down at the NHL Combine, as well as Nate, uh, as well, for coordinating all of those things and jumping on here as well with some Muhammad Ali quotes. We'll... Catch you next time. Sports Talk Saturday. Don't forget, NHL, Stanley Cup Final, NBA Finals here on WGR every night. So we'll catch you later on WGR. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.